0: Welcome to Changes in Latitudes, a Transgender Experience. A 40-something trans woman shares her observations, life stories and the adventures of her journey through transition and beyond. And now, here she is, your host, Sabrina Miller. Yay! Hello! Hello, everyone! Hi! Hi! Hold on to your hats and glasses. Number one, this is our a- bonus episode so what is happening and second what the hell is going on what's with the music (laughs) well welcome aboard this crazy ride of mine uh everything is okay anyway listen through the entire episode and you will most definitely understand that phrase okay okay now let's give it up that is GPC and, you can't say that on TV, Dixieland Jazz Ensemble. Give it up for them. Yeah! <laughs> right, well, how is everybody doing? Thank you for downloading this crazy bonus episode. I mean, really, you're probably asking yourself, what the hell is going on? Number one, it's a bonus episode. Number two, it's on an off day. Well, that kind of goes hand in hand with a bonus episode, but nonetheless, it's not normal publishing day, and now the music is all crazy. Well, (laughs) that music is actually the streets of New York, recorded in 1928 by... Eddie Jordan and his East Side Boys. Now, the the reason I'm playing that as the opening song and I'm still letting it play is because I don't know the exact details, but it's connected to George Carlin. And that's what this bonus episode is all about. Ladies and gentlemen, it's about my admiration and paying homage to a hero of mine because when this releases, It is the 7th anniversary of his death, of his passing, June 22nd, 2008, and I don't remember exactly where I was when I heard it, but I remember what I felt. I felt lost. I felt that the world had lost a fantastic entity, and we were all saddened a little bit that day, and then... If I remember correctly, somebody else passed away shortly thereafter, and it was a fight for who would be in the uh, news. Uh, Like I said, the details are a little uh, cloudy. I like to think of George as that, you know, crazy uncle that is not really an uncle, but a friend of a friend that went to college with your uncle sort of thing, you know? That's 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 how I that's how I feel about George. I feel connected to George in that weird way. Okay, I know it's it is what it is. It is what whatever it is. But since this is my show, and we've had some pretty heavy topics the last handful of episodes, I'm gonna just change it up and throw out this bonus episode, and then just have some fun and share what George Carlin did for me, made me feel, helped me think. And I'm going to share some clips of his, and we're just going to have a grand old time. But we'll be back on track on Friday with a regular scheduled episode. So that means I'm not going to recap anything from previous episodes, because that's going to happen next episode that drops, which is going to be Friday. So let's get the ball a-rollin'. I first heard George when I was in high school, and it was the, uh, well, it was, a, it was a weird album. It was called Explicit Lyrics, was the audio album, but the movie that was on HBO was called Doing It Again, and in the edit of the audio and the video, it was, I don't want to say out of sequence, but there were two different versions of the same show. And different chunks were moved around. And uh, I, I, let me start off by saying, I have predominantly all of his, his body of works. I have a lot of his audiobooks that he read. I have pretty much all the main albums and then a couple obscure things here and there. So, yes, I uh, George Carlin is definitely a hero of mine. <laughs> so, the first thing I'm going to share with you is one of the very first things I ever heard of, from George Carlin. It's from that Doing It Again HBO special and explicit lyrics audio album it came out in 1990 so it was right in my you know junior year senior year and so i was kind of in that got to find something to hook onto i need i need some direction in my life i need somebody to focus on and listen to and then i got this album i think somebody you know i had heard about it not it the album but i had heard about George and, oh yeah, you should check out George Carlin Blah, 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 blah And I went, alright, fine So I was at some record store like, like all high school kids do And there it was And I went, huh, alright It's only whatever on sale Or you know, whatever the case might be I didn't feel like I was expending out Too much money to throw it, to pick it up Because if I didn't like it, I wouldn't be out that much Because, you know, resale value Back then wasn't much Now it's probably nothing But anyhow, This was my first exposure to George Carlin.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to our show. Don't you think it's just a little bit strange that Ronald Reagan had an operation on his asshole and George Bush had an operation on his middle finger? Huh? (laughs) Huh? What are these two men trying to tell us? Now, I'd like to begin tonight with an opening announcement. Because of the FCC, I'm never sure of what it is I'm allowed to say. So, so, I now have my own official policy. This is the language you will not be hearing tonight. You will not hear me say bottom line, game plan, role model, scenario, or hopefully. I will not kick back, mellow out, or be on a roll. I will not go for it, and I will not check it out. I don't even know what it is. And when I leave here, I definitely will not boogie. I promise not to refer to anyone as a class act, a beautiful person, or a happy camper. I will also not be saying, what a guy. And you will not hear me refer to anyone's lifestyle. If you want to know what a moronic word lifestyle is, all you have to do is realize that in a technical sense, Attila the Hun had an active outdoor lifestyle. I will also not be saying any cute things like, moi? And I will not use the French adverb, tre, to modify any English adjectives. Such as Trey Awesome, Trey Gnarly, Trey Faboo, Trey Intense, or Trey Out of Sight. <laughs> I will not say concept when I mean idea. I will not say impacted when I mean affected. There will be no hands-on, state-of-the-art networking. <laughs> we will not maximize, prioritize, or finalize. And we definitely will not interface. <laughs> There will also There will also be no new age lingo spoken here tonight. No support group jargon from the human potential movement. For instance, I will not share anything with you. I will not relate to you and you will not identify with me. I will give you no input and I will expect no feedback. This will not be a learning experience nor will it be a growth period. There will be no sharing, no caring, no birthing, no bonding, no parenting, no nurturing we will not establish a relationship, we will not have any meaningful dialogue, and we definitely will not spend any quality time. We will not be supportive of one another so that we can get in touch with our feelings in order to feel good about ourselves. And if you're one of those people who needs a little space, please, go the fuck outside!
0: And so he was opening monologue. The first few minutes into the evening, I was essentially on the edge of my seat. It, It was phenomenal. And... I found out later why it was so dynamic and phenomenal, and I'll get to that later. But at that point in my life, I had found somebody to, I don't want to say latch on to, but keep in my back pocket as as a little reminder of life, you might, you might say. So now we're going to jump ahead to 1996. This was his next album. I believe he suffered a heart attack in between the two. I could be wrong in my history. I don't have anything written down. I'm just going off what I know in my mind, the void between the ears. And I know it's not correct. Probably, well, not probably. Definitely a lot of the time. But I do know because I looked it up. In 1996 is when this album, Back in Town, uh, was hit the hit the shelves and he, he i believe he titled it back in town because he had that break there that extra cuz he usually puts out an album every 2 years and so this was a 4 year stint so this was the opening of the very first George Carlin album that i truly looked forward to purchasing now he opens the show with a joke he uses quite frequently it's one of his Uh, he's always joked that he's not good at transitions and in his mind, he might be, that's fine. I always thought he handled them perfectly, but he, he, this was one of his things that he would start off with just to get people thinking or throw them off track and then either move into something else or keep on going with whatever he was doing. It was one of those things for him He used this joke to open Carlin at Carnegie in 1982. So he had been working this joke for 14 years. And he opens his show again with it, but he then elaborates on it. You can see how he spent the last 14 years growing the opening joke.
1: that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place, huh? (laughs) Boy, these conservatives are really something, aren't they? They're all in favor of the unborn. They will do anything for the unborn. But once you're born, you're on your own. (laughs) Pro life conservatives are obsessed with a fetus from conception to nine months. After that, they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear from you. No nothing. No neonatal care, no daycare, no Head Start, no school lunch, no food stamps, no welfare, no nothing. If you're pre born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. <laughs> Conservatives don't give a shit about you until you reach military age Then they think you are just fine Just what they've been looking for Conservatives want live babies so they can raise them to be dead soldiers Pro-life Pro-life These people aren't pro-life, they're killing doctors What kind of pro-life is that? What, they'll do anything they can to save a fetus, but if it grows up to be a doctor, they just might have to kill it? (laughs) They're not pro-life. You know what they are? They're anti-woman. Simple as it gets. Anti-woman. They don't like them. They don't like women. They believe a woman's primary role is to function as a broodmare for the state pro-life. You don't see many of these white anti-abortion women volunteering to have any black fetuses transplanted into their uteruses, do you? No, you don't see them adopting a whole lot of crack babies, do you? No, that might be something Christ would do. And you won't see, you won't see a lot of these pro-life people dousing themselves in kerosene and lighting themselves on fire. You know, morally committed religious people in South Vietnam knew how to stage a goddamn demonstration, didn't they? Huh? they? They knew how to put on a fucking protest. Light yourself on fire! Come on, you moral crusaders, let's see a little smoke to match that fire in your belly. Here's another question I have. How come when it's us, it's an abortion, and when it's a chicken, it's an omelet?
2: <laughs> Wait. Wait.
1: Are <laughs> are we so much better than chickens all of a sudden? When did this happen that we pass chickens in goodness? Name six ways we're better than chickens. See, nobody can do it. You know why? Because chickens are decent people. You don't see chickens hanging around in drug gangs, do you? You don't see a chicken strapping some guy to a chair and hooking up his nuts to a car battery, do you? When's the last chicken you heard about came home from work and beat the shit out of his hand? Huh? Doesn't happen. Those chickens are decent people. (laughs) Well, let's get back to this abortion shit. Now, is a fetus a human being? This seems to be the central question. Well, if a fetus is a human being, how come the census doesn't count them? If a fetus is a human being, how come when there's a miscarriage, they don't have a funeral? If a fetus is a human being, how come people say we have two children and one on the way, instead of saying we have three children? People say life begins at conception. I say life began about a billion years ago, and it's a continuous process. Continuous just keeps rolling along, rolling and rolling and rolling along. I said, you know something? Listen, you can go back further than that. What about the carbon atoms? Huh? Human life could not exist without carbon. So is it just possible that maybe we shouldn't be burning all this coal? Just looking for a little consistency here in these anti-abortion arguments. See, the really hardcore people will tell you life begins at fertilization. Fertilization when the sperm fertilizes the egg, which is usually a few moments after the man says, gee, honey, I was going to pull out, but the phone rang and it startled me. (laughs) But even after the egg is fertilized, it's still six or seven days before it reaches the uterus and pregnancy begins. And not every egg makes it that far. Eighty percent of a woman's fertilized eggs are rinsed and flushed out of her body once a month during those delightful few days she has. (laughs) They wind up on sanitary napkins, and yet they are fertilized eggs. So basically, what these anti-abortion people are telling us is that any woman who's had more than one period is a serial killer. (laughs) Consistency. Consistency. Hey, hey, if they really want to get serious, what about all the sperm that are wasted when the state executes a condemned man and one of these pro-life guys who's watching comes in his pants, huh? Here's a guy standing over there with his jockey shorts full of little Vinnies and Debbies and nobody's saying a word to that guy. Not every ejaculation deserves a name. Now... Speaking of consistency, Catholics, which I was until I reached the age of reason,
2: Catholics,
1: Catholics and other Christians are against abortions and they're against homosexuals. Well, who has less abortions than homosexuals? Leave these fucking people alone, for Christ's sakes! There is an entire class of people guaranteed never to have an abortion. And the Catholics and Christians are just tossing them aside. You'd think they'd make natural allies. Go look for consistency in religion. And speaking to my friends the Catholics... When John Cardinal O'Connor of New York and some of these other cardinals and bishops have experienced their first pregnancies and their first labor pains and they've raised a couple of children on a minimum wage, then I'll be glad to hear what they have to say about abortion. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Enlightening, too. But, but, in the meantime, what they ought to be doing is telling these priests who took a vow of chastity to keep their hands off the altar, boys. (laughs)
2: You can to yourself, Father. You know?
1: When Jesus said, Suffer the little children come unto me, that's not what he was talking about. So, you know what I tell these anti abortion people? I say, Hey, hey, if you think a fetus is more important than a woman, try getting a fetus to wash the shit stains out of your underwear. <laughs> For Stop. no pay and no pension. <laughs> I tell him, think of an abortion as term limits. That's all it is. Biological term limits.
0: Okay, so now I'm going to twist it up again with some with, with George Carlin. I'm going to take us way back to sometime in the 70s. I'm not entirely sure, but it's one of the things he's very well known for, and that is the hippy-dippy weatherman. Hey,
3: baby, what's happening? Hey. Kay, Okay, what you call your Parson? I'll sleep here, you hippy-dippy weatherman, with all the hippy-dippy weather, man. Brought to you by Parsons Pest Control. Do you have termites, water bugs, and roaches? Well, Parsons will help you get rid of the termites and water bugs and help you smoke the roaches. Hey temperature at the airport is 88 degrees, which is stupid, man, because I don't know anybody who lives at the airport. (laughs) Now, if you'll take a look at our national weather map, you'll see that we don't have one. (laughs) So try to picture last night's map in your mind. Remember all the letters and lines, all them little numbers. The weather is dominated by a large Canadian low, which is not to be confused with a Mexican high. Tonight's forecast, dark. Continued dark tonight, turning to partly light in the morning old Al, Al
1: got out of the weather business when he realized he had given the, the final weather forecast. He had given the ultimate forecast. There
3: was nowhere to go. You know, when there's nothing left to conquer in your field, hey, it's time to leave. And old Al had given the ultimate forecast. He told us, he said one night, that the weather will continue to change on and off for a long, long time. <laughs> and he was gone for a God bless Al.
0: So that was the, the big stoner character that I believe he was always truly connected with, even when he was asked to do the Volkswagen bus in Cars. It was after the Hippie wither man. And now let's move into one of his first solo albums, uh, FM and AM, or FM and AM, uh, in 1971. And he purposefully made it an FM and AM album. Album because one side, the AM side, was kind of his, you know, straight collar performance stuff that he was doing in the 60s, and moving into the rebellious George Carlin that he became in the 70s by the other side, the flip side. And so, this is his take on drugs from that flip side where he starts to push the envelope a little bit and really pull focus to what was happening to. The culture at the time.
4: Um, I was on a talk show recently, and the uh, host asked me, "said What do you think about the dope problem?" And I said, "Definitely, I feel we have too many dopes." Yeah. <laughs> <you know. laughs> No question about it. Uh, That's why we have a drug problem, I really feel, you know, because, like, everybody has access to drugs, and we're all kind of just dopey, you know. We're just human beings, little protoplasm walking around shaking hands. How are you, Phil? Give me a piece of lettuce, you know. (laughs) No real big thing. We're just kind of dopey folks, and we have all these drugs available to us. You know, that's why there's a drug problem, man. There's all those drug stores, right? (laughs) Every three or four blocks, and you know, it's a big sign. Drugs. Open all night. Drugs. We deliver. Drugs. Cut rate. Drugs. It's the biggest thing on their sign. Cosmetics. Sundries. Drugs. And the pharmacist is always stoned. You ever notice that? Check his eyes. He's experimenting with something. There. How come he can never fill a prescription right away, you know? really always gives you that, better come back in about an hour. I, I can't even read the basket, you know. It's no accident that we're drug oriented, really. Uh, the drug companies got us that way and they'd like to keep us that way. I mean, that's a simple thing. They start you early with the oral habit. The little orange flavored aspirin for children. Two in the mouth, son. Something wrong with your head? Two in the mouth. Remember that, head, mouth. These are orange. There'll be other colors later on. (laughs) Even named it after a saint to throw you off, you know. It's all right, son. Two in the mouth. Saint Joseph. (laughs) Remember Papa Chocks? Papa (laughs) (laughs) Chocks! you know. Guy goes to a dance when he's 13. How's your head?
3: (laughs) Two in the mouth, man, you know.
4: Mom's got her fix. Coffee freaks running around. Alcohol. You know, that's the biggest, of course, and most abused. And incredible. 50% of all traffic deaths. No, yes, that's about 25,000. Right. 50% of traffic deaths. 40% of all arrests, traceable. 50% of all first admissions to mental institutions, traceable to alcohol. And then, of course, there's uh, diabetes, gout, high blood pressure. Heart disease, insanity, divorce—I always say, "Drink up, Shriners!" Whenever I see a couple of you. Know? <laughs> when they talk about drugs, they don't talk about all of them. That's the problem. They don't mention coffee. <laughs> the low end of the speed spectrum, I grant you, but there are coffee freaks, and they're walking around. Nobody, you know, worried about it or anything. Mrs. Olson never tells you about that mild speed lift, you know?
2: Because
4: she, she's shooting freeze-dried Folgers, right? <laughs> but you've seen the coffee freak in the office, haven't you? The guy who drops eight or nine cups every morning. Always in a good mood. Hi, how are you? Warm that up for you? Okay, yeah, hi, how are you? Hey, good to see you. Always in a nice mood. Fine, until the coffee urn breaks, man. And he's the first over. What do you mean, broken, man? Why? Well, plug it
5: in, man. Turn it around. Never mind. Man, put some water. In. Holy shit, man.
4: Turn the car around. Man.
2: And
4: then he goes out and scores because he's the one who's hooked. Right? I know it's just a dopey example, but that's the beginning of it. Then you have housewives and the diet pills. Mom found out there's a lot more than dieting in those pills, man. Help you grind your teeth and feel great too. It? <laughs> <laughs> Keep it on the phone a lot. Hi, how are you, March? Anyway, look it up and smell it. What are <laughs> Where are you going, Mom? Shopping at midnight? Well, they're open, you know. Never mind. I see you later. Man, go. <laughs> <laughs> and athletes, athletes got into uppers, college athletes. The right wing's last line of defense on campus. And they're doing amphetamines. Remember when being up for the game used to be kind of a spiritual thing? Now, man. You up for the game? Been up all week, <laughs> man.
0: I I just love his observation. People have always said that he's ahead of his time, and I I feel that's true as well. Okay, now let's get into something that almost every single person knows, (laughs) and that's from his also 1971 album, Class Clown, and it's what he uses to close the show. It's also what got him in trouble with the FCC, and that's the seven words you can't say on TV. And I don't really know what else to intro this with, except Google it if you do not know the history of this thing, this track. It was amazing to find out.
4: I love words. I thank you for hearing my words. I want to tell you something about words that I, uh, I think is important. I love, as I say, they're my uh, work, they're my play, they're my passion. Words are all we have, really. Uh, we have thoughts, but thoughts are fluid, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And then we assign a word to a thought And we're stuck with that word for that thought So be careful with words I like to think, yeah, the same words, you know, that hurt can heal It's a a matter of how you pick them There are some people that aren't into all the words There are some people that would have you not use certain words Yeah, there are 400,000 words in the English language And there are seven of them you can't say on television What a ratio that is Three hundred and ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-three to seven. They must really be bad. They'd have to be outrageous to be separated from a group that large. All of you over here, you seven. Bad words. That's what they told us they were, remember? That's a bad word. No. No bad words. Bad thoughts, bad intentions, and words. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, huh? (laughs) Those are the heavy seven. Those are the ones that'll infect your soul, curve your spine... And keep the country from winning the war. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Wow. And tits doesn't even belong on the list, you know? Man. It's such a friendly sounding word. Sounds like a nickname, right? Hey, tits, come in, man. Hey, tits. Hey, Hey tits,
5: me tits, 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 tits,
4: tits, man. Sounds like a snack, doesn't it? Huh? Yes, I know it is, right? A snack. And I don't mean your sexist snack. I mean new Nabisco tits, the new cheese tits, corn tits, and pizza tits, and sesame tits, onion tits, tater tits. Yeah. Bet you can't eat just one. Yeah. That's true. I usually switch off. But, I mean, that word does not belong on the list. Actually, none of the words belong on the list but you can understand why some of them are there I'm not completely insensitive to people's feelings you know I can dig why some of those words got on the list like cocksucker and motherfucker those are (laughs) those are heavyweight words you know there's a lot going on there man (laughs) besides the literal translation and, and the emotional feeling I mean they're just busy words. You know? There's a lot of syllables to contend with. And, and those K's, those are aggressive sounds. They jump out at you, man. It's like an assault on you, you know? So like I can dig man. Huh? Now, we mentioned shit earlier, of course. And uh, two of the other four letter Anglo Saxon words are piss and cunt, which go together, of course, but forget that. <laughs> Little accidental humor I throw in. Piss and cunt. The reason that piss and cunt are on the list is that a long time ago, certain ladies said, "Those are the two I'm not going to say." I don't mind fucking shit, but P and C are out. P and C are out. Which led to such stupid sentences as, "Okay, you fuckers, I'm going to tinkle now." And of course the word fuck the word fuck I don't really well there's some more accidental humor I don't really want to get into that now ah. because I think it takes too long ah. but I do mean that I mean I think the word fuck is a very important word it's the beginning of life and yet it's a word we use to hurt one another quite often and uh, People much wiser than I have said I'd rather have my son watch a film with two people making love than two people trying to kill one another. And I, of course, can agree. It's a great sentiment. I wish I knew who said it first, and I I agree with that. But I'd like to take it a step further. I'd like to substitute the word fuck for the word kill in all those movie clichés we grew up with, right?
3: Okay, Sheriff, we're going to fuck you now. (laughs) But we're
4: going to fuck you slow. So maybe next year I'll have a whole fucking rap on that word. I hope so. Uh, There are two-way words. Those are the seven you can never say on television. Under any circumstances, you just cannot say them ever, ever, ever. Not even clinically. You cannot weave them in on the panel with Doc and Ed and Johnny. I mean, it's just impossible. Forget those seven. They're out. But there are some two-way words, those double-meaning words. Remember the ones you giggled at in sixth grade? And the cock crowed three times. Hey, the cock crowed three times.
2: Hey, it's in the Bible. Hey.
4: There are some two-way words, like it's okay for Kurt Gowdy to say, Roberto Clemente has two balls on him. Yeah. But he can't say, I think he hurt his balls on that play, Tony, don't you? He's holding them. He must have hurt them, by God. And the other two-way word that goes with that one is prick. It's okay if it happens to your finger. Yes, you can prick your finger, but don't finger your prick. No,
0: no.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And now we're going to jump into his next album, Occupation Fool, and this track is what I is what he called the hallway groups. And I'm sharing this because of just his amazing sense of music. He, he, he I firmly believe that if he was not the public speaker and dynamic performer and comedian uh, that he ended up being, I fully believe he would have been some sort of blues jazz musician. That's because of stuff like this and other things that I've heard throughout his my life and his life, that's just he had such a grasp on music that I don't know exactly how much it influenced him, but I think it influenced him more than people probably give it credit for.
4: We were attracted to the black music as well, I man, because it was uh, you know I don't know it was the groups, it was the beginning of the hallway groups, what I call them. Because uh, while Perry Como and K-Star and mm. Doris Day and Mitch Miller and Guy Mitchell and the Mills Brothers and Victor Mullen and Tony Martin and Frankie Lane and Ned Cole were singing in one realm, we had the Diamonds and the Drifters and uh, the Vocaliers and the Five Willows and the Flamingos and the Spaniels and the Orioles and the Crows and the Clovers <laughs> and the
5: Sapphires and the Five Keys and it went from there. But this was the original part before they really ripped off the black music when it was still we. Then you just go from there, whoever had the next part. It was nice. Everybody could
4: sing every part because your voice was cracking anyway, right? (laughs) Yeah, you could do them all.
2: Okay, Come on, oh, no, shit, man.
4: You're supposed to come in there, man. <laughs> you go down the alphabet singing girls' names in a row, you know, just to have subject matter for
0: song. I my dear, I love you with my heart. my love.
5: Clara. I'm a clown
2: for you. Deirdre, 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 deirdre. deirdre, deirdre, deirdre.
4: He was tough, man.
5: Edith and Ethel. None of them had good romantic sounds. You know. <laughs> Ethel. I was always waiting till they got down to Yolanda, man. I was going to be ready. I had Yolanda and Zoe. I could never figure out anything for X.
0: Now we have... Uh, Ms. Hollander. Just amazing. Amazing. Okay, so now, same same album, Occupation Fool, 1973. This is the grass-swept the neighborhood. Again, a brilliant observation of the life and times happening around him.
4: I'm 35 years old, which is great when the world, all, the whole country at least, seems to be 18 and 50. It's nice have a reach on each side and... Uh, As a result of that arithmetic, in 1951, I was 14, that's what I want to tell you. When grass uh, swept the neighborhood, we hadn't been into grass before that. We were into gang fighting and wine and beer in the park, man, and punching the shit out of people. (laughs) And having jackets with your names, man, and you had Debs, your girls with your Debs. What are you? I'm
1: a Tomahawk Deb!
5: Regular gangs, man, and turf and all that dumbass shit, and... uh... Getting into fights over things like girls. He don't wanna dance one of our Debs, man. Hey, hang on,
3: the guy's dead, I know, man. Shit's on.
5: Shit's on. Gonna be a rumble.
3: Yeah, man, we're gonna get the riffs and the condors and the beacons and the corner boys and the lamplighters and the chaplains and the bishop's man and the five satin' gents and the dukes and the corner boys and the rams and the beacons, man. Did I say the
4: beacons? We're getting the same guys, man. Yeah, and then pot came along, and gang fighting went away. You know, just <laughs> in one semester in shop class, guys went from making zip guns to hash pipes. You know, was just <laughs> boom,
5: instant. Cats would say, "I'll
3: catch you after the fight, straight." <laughs> On the corner, go.
0: All right next is the from the uh, next album An Evening with Wally Lando featuring Bill Salazzo. and we'll hear more about that in just a minute but this is another uh well him sharing a obvious thing that not everybody's going to think of until you hear it the first time and think of yourself oh well yeah so before we get into this please remember it was 1975 Air travel has changed drastically. It's almost like night and day, okay? Uh if you're not aware, you used to be able to smoke in the airplanes at certain altitudes. When you reached a certain altitude, you could smoke in the plane. Um <laughs> yeah, except you couldn't smoke in the bathroom. <laughs> Crazy enough, but yeah, whatever. Uh so this is just his thing. Please return the stewardess to her original upright position.
1: ( Nebr助け) (laughs) 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 Airline always disappointed me. They don't have a drug stewardess. They have an alcohol stewardess. Champagne, red wine, white wine. White wine, champagne, white wine, champagne. Red wine, white wine, champagne. Red wine, white wine. wine. Red wine, white wine, wine, white wine, champagne. Champagne, white wine, red wine, white wine. Red wine, white wine, wine, champagne. Champagne, white wine, white wine, wine. wine, red wine, champagne, white wine. I think they could spare one girl to come down the aisle, PCP trips, coke, smoke, shit, to get out.
5: Because getting high on the plane used to be a half the fun. You can't smoke in the lavatories at all anymore, not even Virginia Burley. So if you're gonna smoke a joint,
1: better be an old pro. Smoking, or rather, getting high on the airplane. I like that better because of the semantic possibilities. For the first person ever up in an airplane, you say, Look, they're high in the airplane. (laughs) And indeed, we are that. We are high in the airplane. High in the airplane. They always keep telling me at the airport, Get on the plane. I say, Fuck you, I'm getting in. Let the daredevils get on. (laughs) But we call it being high on the plane. They're high on the plane. And if you're an aeronautical engineer and you really like the design,
4: you might be
5: high on the plane. (laughs) And then if you got high on the plane, you'd be triple high on the plane, unless you had got high before you got on the plane. Because you can be high on the plane, or you, well, let's put it this way you can get off and get on, or you can get on and get off, (laughs) man.
4: I used to like to smoke up in the forward lavatory because I figured that the mirror was two-way and the crew was watching and
1: (laughs) Always offering the crew a hit, naturally. (laughs) Hey, come on. There you (laughs) go. Then I'd relax a little, have the little thing locked, occupied. Okay. (laughs) Looking at all the little slots and shit. And you get high in the plane. Of course, it depended on what airline you were on, whether the suction in the sink was any good. TWA always had the best sink suction, as far as I'm concerned, for your traveling head.
6: Wow!
1: My hair used to straighten out, man. I lost ideas in those sinks, man.
4: But you have to keep it open. I was a real dummy for several years. I used to just press down
5: the drain, which gives you a red ring on the heel of your hand. It's like, Powder burns, you know they got you, man. Look at the guy with the red ring. Come on, take him away.
4: <laughs> so I find you could put some soap in there or a piece of the
1: cup, keep it open. But then you have to decide if you're going to smoke in the bathroom on a plane. You have to decide if you're going to make believe you're taking a shit or not. Because making believe, if somebody could bust it in, like a guy from Texas comes through with an axe, man. You want to be ready taking a regular shit. You don't be arrested for shitting through your pants, right? You're not- <laughs> As long as I got rid of the joint, I don't care what the charge is. (laughs) Shitting with
5: your pants on. Anyway, you get a little high, and the light goes on. Return to cabin. Uh Uh-oh, something's up. They need me.
1: (laughs) Knew I shouldn't have left them
4: alone. And on your way out, you see another sign...
5: Because you're really into detail now. <laughs> and it says, please wash up for the next guy. And so you know you didn't do anything in the sink much, but you do have felon's guilt. So you decide to wash up for the other
1: guy, and you even wash off the gray bubbles on the soap that the old guy made, and you start to wash off the fixtures and shit in the mirror. Looks like it needs a little bit. <laughs> Pretty soon you're doing the walls, man.
0: <laughs> Any more babbo out there? <laughs> And now I'm going to interject our little chronology travel of George Carlin's work to something that was released in 2010. And it was released by uh, Tony Hendra, and it was a little tiny short podcast that was used to promote George Carlin's final book, Last Words. And it was called, the podcast was called A Few Last Words with George Carlin and Tony Hendra and what had what had happened in this in the writing of the book was George and Tony would get together and record conversations and talk about specific times of George's life and what he wanted to say about this and that and the other thing and that's that's what was all documented in fact in the audio book of that final book uh which is amazing by the way, you should purchase it <laughs> absolutely purchase it uh George's brother reads it. Uh, Kelly Carlin, his daughter, and Tony Hendra, the co-author, uh, do an intro for it. It is just an amazing piece of work. Do yourself a favor and pick it up. But, uh, like I said, this was to help promote the sales of that book, and this is this comes from the recording of the premise of getting the stuff together for the book, and it's his view on the whole Wally Lando album. I mean, it's one of the most con- con- concocted titles of the entire body of work. So just listen to what he has to say on it in hindsight.
6: We were actually on a more interesting tack here, I think, which was was in the absence of New Vistas. You went right back to uh, uh, Tony Carson.
3: Absolutely. And uh, with a vengeance almost.
1: And, and, I
6: mean, did you really? Silk
3: Shirt. Can you remember Silk Shirt? Well, I just uh, thought, well, I have to, you know, I'll start to look decent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a joke.
1: It's, I just look horrible. I don't know anything about clothes. This whole thing about whether or not an actor, performer, an artist, or writer reflects or affects his times. So I don't know for certain how much my shorter hair in this period is a reflection of the society swinging back away from the, the precipice, or my own conscious slash subconscious feeling that maybe I'm more acceptable if I begin to look a little more like a clerk or a salesman. It's funny, too, that the death routine comes in, begins to show up here in 75 or 76 mm-hmm. as, as one of those albums. I think the, either the Wally Lando album or the On The Road album, which is the next one. The Wally Lando also. Here, here we got FM&AM concept. Class Clown concept. Occupation fool concept. Toledo in the box, No concept. But still a catchy, snappy little name that relates to the counterculture. And then comes An Evening with Wally Lando featuring Bill Slazzo. Where the fuck did that come from? You know? Desperation. Yeah. And confusion. Uh-huh. And and lack of focus, yeah, and and putting two other people's names on my album cover, outnumbering me two to one. <laughs> All
0: right, let's get back on track with uh, our chronology thing. We're going to jump to nineteen eighty four to the Carlin on Campus album, and this is his track that he titled "Incomplete List of Impolite Words." And it's basically an extension of the seven words you can't say on TV uh, list that he started. So this is the list 13 years later.
1: I'd like to read you a list of words that's gotten a little bit longer. It's an incomplete list of impolite words. I know it's incomplete because someone always comes up after the show and says, Hey, you forgot Needle dick the boxfucker. fucker. <laughs> We start out lightly with heck, hell, damn, goddamn bitch, bastard, and crud, and then we get right into crap, turd, shit, dingleberry, piss, piddle, leak, mung, cheese, laying some cable, pinching a loaf, and dropping a load. (laughs) Ass, booty, butt, hiney, tuckus, bum, buns, rump, cheeks, tits, jugs, bazooms, knockers, knobs, lungs, balloons, brown eyes, balls, nuts, onions, jewels, rock, stones, ball, bag, jism, cum, shoot, cream, wad, juice, pecker, tracks, pearl, necklace. (laughs) Crabs, dough, sift, clap, gleet, raincoat, scumbag, rubber, gasket, French tickler, dildo. Here we go now. fox, screw, lay, diddle, push, plow, hump, cut, bang, poke, batter, wham, beef injection. <laughs> Vitamin F, knock up, put out, dip your wick, hide the salami. Laying pipe, polishing your rocket. Squatting on the hog. Getting your pole varnished. A quickie, a nooner, a matinee. Pop your cookies, bust your nuts, get your rocks off, bananas and cream, piece of ass, nookie poon tang. <laughs> Here we go again now. Cunt, coos, cooch, crack gash, notch, twat, slash, ginch, hole, hat, slit, snatch, quim, box, snapper, beaver, tail, pussy, muff, bearded, clam.
3: <laughs> Fur burger. <laughs> Tuna taco. <laughs> Bush hair pie woolly booger
1: glory hole a merkin, a mucket button clip, cherry clamp snapping pussy taint boy in the boat man in the canoe <laughs> mutt rag on the rag flying the flag riding the cotton pony <laughs> having the painters in some of these border on poetry I feel you know Hard on, rod on, bone on, boner, stiff, piss hard, wet cream, hot nuts, horny, randy, blue balls, lover's nuts, construct, queefer, pussy, farts, asshole, bunghole, little brown eyeball. Bugger, brown, ream, cornhole, buttfuck, backdoor, bite the brown, sugar bowl, pie, mustard road, up the old dirt road. Hershey Highway. Fishing for brown trout. Fudge Packer, Pound Cake, Finger Fuck, Dry Hump, cop A Field, Tit Fuck, French Fuck, One Man Band, Hand Job, French Job, Blow Job, Head Job, Rim Job, Hum Job, Pipe Job, Suck Off, Give Head, Give Face, Gobble, Copa Stem, cop A Doodle, Go Down On, Muff Dive, Mustache Ride, Sit On My Face, Yodeling in the Gully. 69. 71, which is 69 with two fingers up your ass. 68, which is you do me and I'll owe you one. Women hear that one all the time. Golden showers Around the world Daisy chain Sloppy seconds Dog style Mongolian Cluster fuck. <laughs> Group grope Gang bang Circle jerk 20 lira Well hung Here we go again now Dick prick Dork dong Tongue Donnaker Dingus Wang Schlong Schwantz Putz pork Pecker peter Prong tool Rod Hammer shaft Stick snake Knob Lop Stem Root Joint piece Gun Meat Beef Pork Weenie Skin flute Meat whistle tallywacker. <laughs> Middle leg Short arm Rod of love Mr. Goodwrench <laughs> Joystick, love muscle, ding-dong, tube-steak, pink pencil, bald-headed mouse... (laughs) ...trouser snake... ...the one-eyed wonder worm... (laughs) ...jelly roll, puddin', jerk-off, jack-off, whack-off, pull-off, beat-off, fist-fuck, wanking... ...beating your meat, flogging your dong, pounding your pud... ...bleeding your weed, wringing out your rope... ...stroking it, giving it a tug, beating the bishop... (laughs) ...milking the lizard, choking the chicken... Waxing the dolphin (laughs) Wrestling the eel, spank the frank, paddle the pickle, jerk the gherkin, punishing Percy in your palm (laughs) Shooting putty at the moon Pocket pool, pimp, hooker, trick, queen, queer, punk, faggot, quiff, dyke, diesel, dyke, lessie, bull dagger, box lunch, seafood, rough trade, eat me, fuck you up, your ass, fuck off, piss off, stick it, stuff it, shove it, ram it, jam it, cram it, sit on it, get laid, get in, get off, get it on, get it up, motherfucker, cocksucker, old fart, fart face, fart sniffer, cocksman, scat fan, asshole, peckerhead, scumbag, fuck up, fuck off, ball breaker, ball buster, a real pisser, cock teaser, cunt lapper, ass kisser, brown nose, shit ass, shit heel, douchebag, and mother strap Thank you all for being here tonight. And
0: now to break it up. During the opening of the video, Doing It Again, which is that explicit lyrics album I explained in the beginning of this thing. Uh, during that, he performs what you, which you're about to hear as just a little segue break. As I said, he's, he, he's claimed he's never good with transitions, but then he would come up with stuff like this.
1: But here's a little cheer. A lot of people like it. it goes like this. Rat shit, bat shit, dirty old twat. 69 assholes tied in a knot.
0: Hooray, lizard shit, fuck! So now I'm going to mention why I feel that he is phenomenal and why his first performance that I heard is I didn't see the... Uh, doing it again, special, I heard the audio explicit lyrics, so then later I saw the video of it, but the reason he was such a dynamic performer visually and audibly is because he was an actor. He was a tried and proven actor. He himself in many forms, whether it's interview or books or what have you, has mentioned or Somebody has mentioned about George how he basically did the notes and the work that an actor did. The An actor pours over their text until they know it inside and out and understands every nuance and subtlety of the text. Well, George had the plus of already writing the text and knowing the syntax that he wanted to use. So all he had to do was essentially in his language, clean it up, punch it up. And so he was doing that for forever and ever and ever. And the reason I can say he was truly an actor is because during uh, one of the memorial things that happened after he passed, uh, Kevin Smith, who attended, obviously, uh, mentioned how in, I can't think of the title of it, but it was the Ben Affleck movie that really bombed I enjoyed the movie, but only for George's performance. George played like a gay neighbor or something, and I can't quite remember the details right now, but he was awesome in that. And Kevin remarked how George went over the script and said, you know, I'm always arguing about this next-door neighbor lady, but there's no reason for it. Well, I just want you to know, Kevin, that I, speaking for George, wrote out this long history, and I committed it to memory, and I since threw away the the document and you'll never hear of it again unless you want me to pull from it but it's there when i heard that come out of kevin's mouth that was first first thing well not the first thing but one of the first things in the first uh semester maybe second semester of my college c- career studying the dramatic arts one, that was the first thing big thing that was enforced put the subtext in, create the stuff that's not there, and then forget about it. The forget about it is the fact that everybody had a problem with. George understood that without really understanding it. So he was an actor's actor. Fortunately, he never got that chance to shine and the, the few projects that he did do that were outside his work because he knew he was so comfortable working with his own words that working with somebody else's was probably almost unnatural for him. And as a performer and somebody who kind of writes their own thing, I totally get that. But ultimately, the thing that George had above almost any other stand-up, or I don't even want to call him a stand-up, monologist out there is that he understood the craft of acting. Now with this knowledge, if you're a George Carlin fan or you're just discovering George Carlin, go and search out Netflix because a lot of his specials are on there, or at least they were within the last few months. And if not, they're available on iTunes for rental and purchase. And I think I know there's a bunch of clips out of sequence available on YouTube. If you've never seen george carlin perform physically perform his routines oh you're missing out and as somebody who has essentially studied george carlin i suggest starting with his early works and moving your way forward through to his last works okay now we're coming up to one of my favorites and the very first time i heard this my jaw dropped i said oh my god that's exactly what it is And this is another popular one, probably as popular as seven words, baseball and football. Now, here's the unique thing that I have personally observed, but I've never seen written or spoken about anywhere else. So if you know of this in the George Carlin realm, talk to me, because I would love to know George's process on the baseball football monologue, we'll call it. Because it's on the Wally Londo album. But it's not what you're about to hear. You're going to hear the Carlin on Campus version. Basically, 11 years difference. Wally Londo was in 75, and Carlin on Campus was in 84. So, nine years difference. But he also did it when he was the first guest host on SNL in 1975. October of 75, he was the first guest. It was amazing. He was the first guest. And Andy Kaufman was on there. Tons of people. Tons of people. Anyway, I digress on that. But that was in '75. Also, the year of Wally Lando. So he, and it's different than when he performs on the album of Wally Lando. So he worked it hard, even after recording it for that Wally Lando album. And I, I believe he got it to the point where he liked it during the Carlin on Campus album tour, however he called his deal thing there you know because he doesn't bring it up really ever again
1: like to talk a little bit about baseball and football Starting with baseball, baseball is different from any other sport in a lot of different little ways. For instance, in most sports, you score points or you score goals. In baseball, you score runs. In most sports, the ball or the object is put in play by the offensive team. In baseball, the defense puts the ball in play, and only the defensive team is allowed to touch the ball. In fact, in baseball, if an offensive player touches the ball intentionally, he's out. Also, most sports, the team is run by a coach. In baseball, the team is run by a manager. And only in baseball does the manager or the coach have to wear the same uniform the players do. Can you picture Bill Parcells in his New York Giants uniform? now baseball and football are different from one another in other kind of interesting ways I think first of all um... baseball is a 19th century pastoral game football is a 20th century technological struggle (laughs) baseball is played on a diamond in a park the baseball park football is played on a gridiron in a stadium Sometimes called Soldier Field or War Memorial Stadium. (laughs) Baseball begins in the spring, the season of new life. Football begins in the fall when everything is dying. In football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, you wear a cap football is concerned with downs. what down is it? Baseball is concerned with ups. Who's up? Are you up? I'm not up. He's up. In football, the specialist comes in to kick. In baseball, the specialist comes in to relieve someone. (laughs) In football, you receive a penalty. In baseball, you make an error. whoops (laughs) football has hitting, clipping, spearing, blocking, piling on, late hitting, unnecessary roughness and personal fouls baseball has the sacrifice (laughs) football is played in any kind of weather rain, sleet, snow, hail, mud can't read the numbers on the field, can't read the yard markers, can't read the players numbers the struggle will continue In baseball, if it rains, we don't come out
2: to play. I can't come out to play. It's raining out.
1: Baseball has a seventh inning stretch. Football has the two minute warning. (laughs) Baseball has no time limit. We don't know when it's going to end. We might have extra innings. Football is rigidly timed and it will end even if we have to go to sudden death. In baseball during the game in the stands there's kind of a picnic feeling. Emotions may run high or low but there's not that much unpleasantness. In football in the stands during the game you can be sure that at least 27 times you were perfectly capable of taking the life of a fellow human being. Preferably a stranger. And finally, the objectives of the two games are totally different. In football, the object is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy, in spite of the blitz, even if he has to use the shotgun. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack, which punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. In baseball, the object is to go home and to be safe. I hope I'll be safe at home, safe at home.
0: Now let's jump forward to 1990, back to Doing It Again, that explicit lyrics uh, album. And this is his observation of life's little moments. We will not be supportive of one another
1: so that we can get in touch with our feelings in order to feel good about ourselves. And if you're one of those people who needs a little space, please go the fuck outside we will we will however be talking about those little moments that seem to last forever have you ever been in a serious social situation when you suddenly realize you have to pull the underwear out of the crack in your ass? (laughs) You take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Hell, yeah. Well, it's one of life's little moments, isn't it? It's one of those little moments you have to deal with at the time. You can't postpone that. You can't put that off and be walking around like this. You've got to get in there and clear that thing out. You've got to rescue your underwear. There's a letter in your mailbox right and you have to rectify that situation so that you can move along to your next embarrassing moment which is probably scheduled immediately That's the way life is, full of those little moments, everybody knows them, everybody recognizes them. You ever been at a really loud party, I mean a good loud party where the music is playing too loud, and everybody is talking too loudly, and in order to be heard, even by the person standing right next to you, you've got to be screaming at the top of your lungs. But every now and then at a party, it seems as though everyone shuts up at the same time, (laughs) and only your voice can be heard. Right, I know, I know. Well, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have my testicles laminated. Life's little moments. You ever been talking to someone and you laugh through your nose and blow a snot on your shirt? And you have to just kind of keep talking, you know? And make believe it's part of the design. Works all right if you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt. But otherwise, they're gonna notice. Hey, you got a big snot on your shirt. Some guys are really cruel, you know? And some of these things are not even your fault. These little things that happen, you didn't cause the situation, a lot of times you're the victim. You walk into some situation and suddenly you're the one who's taken all the heat. Not your fault. Give you an example of the kind of thing I mean. Do you ever meet somebody and you go to shake the guy's hand and you suddenly realize he doesn't have a complete hand? And you gotta make believe it feels great, right? You can't go ah, ah, ah. ah! You can't do that. It's not even an option. You gotta hang in there and say hi. Hey, swell hand. Give me three. You <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> Not your fault You didn't cause that You weren't even there when it happened to the guy
0: All right now we're gonna jump to 1997 uh, This is when he wrote his first book he first wrote it as a book and it went I believe to number one or top-selling somewhere in there I don't remember the, exactly those details and numbers But let me tell you, I remember seeing it on bookshelves and stands everywhere, uh, at the grocery store, at the corner newsstand. I saw the the Braindroppings book all over the place. And when he finally recorded it, which I believe was a year or two later, he used this sort of kind of jazzy music behind it and throughout the book mixed little things like this.
1: A few more oxymorons. Mandatory options. Mutual differences. Non-dairy creamer. Open secret. Resident alien. Silent alarm. Sports sedan. Wireless cable. Mercy killing. Lethal assistance. Business ethics. Friendly fire. Genuine veneer. Full-time daycare. Death benefits holy war
0: okay now you're in for a little treat this comes from 1998 George is touring and doing the the circuits and talking about his book so buy his book so he's talking to people well at this time Dennis Miller had a show Dennis Miller live And I don't know any details. I was too busy with life to watch television at this time. Lots of school and everything. So my viewing time really was watching pre-recorded stuff. And I never really, really recorded Dennis Miller live. But that's another story. Anyhow, here is a 10-minute blurb of George on Dennis Miller. What I love about it is his candid conversation.
7: I want to know what you think, America. Give me a call one 8673 Tonight's guest served both in the U.S. armed forces and as a role model and mentor to an entire generation of comedians. His new book is called Brain Droppings. Please welcome George Carlin. George. How
2: are you? Very good. Hi, How are you? That was a nice move on there.
6: Thank you.
7: Yeah. 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 That's good, man. See, Jeez. you know, some, sometimes people in like big show business disparage stand-up comedians, but you can't beat that grassroots no. connection, can you? Absolutely. I mean, people feel that you've never let them down and never bullshitted them, and you know it shows off in the way they receive you. It. It's
1: nice to see. And you, I'm man. finally, finally, after all this time, I get to do a talk show where you can say cocksucker. Isn't that right? great? <laughs> I've been waiting for that.
7: <laughs> now, what was, what was your experience in, in the military, George? Well, first of all, may I point out I, I chose to serve, Dennis, okay?
1: Some of us apparently did not choose to serve. I chose to serve. And I was in the Air Force. I'm from, you know that. I was in the Air Force. I decided I was either that or the Army. I decided very quickly, this was an easy decision, Army... I said, well, rather than sitting in a foxhole having foreign people shooting at me, shooting in my helmet, cooking in it later (laughs) for three, four, eight weeks at a time, I'd rather fly over the area, drop some bombs, fly home, take a shower, and go out dancing. (laughs) Air Force, country club. So, I, uh, I, I, not only did I serve, but I was actually killed in combat, (laughs) And I got out early, I beat him, I screwed him. I fucked him out of a year. It's a four year hitch they're supposed to have and and then four years in the reserve. I got the, uh, by the way, I'd like to point out the dishonorable discharge does not inform you as to which party was dishonorable, okay? I have my version of this. Uh, I'm exaggerating, I, I didn't get a dishonorable. I got the same discharge Kelly Flynn got, but not for humping. From the same guy? No. And, and not even for humping. Hey, if I had known, if I had known in 1957 you could get discharged for humping, hey, I'd have been out a lot quicker. But I got, I got a general discharge under honorable conditions. I had three court-martials. I, uh, my stripes, I went from, you come in as a basic. I went from no stripes to one, to none, to one, to two, to one, to two, to one, to, one, to none. And then they let me go.
7: That was my trip. Yeah. I think they call that trench warfare. Yeah. You move they, a little they, ahead, they, fall back kept, a
1: little bit. Yes. They kept telling me to get snaps on those chevrons, Carlin. Get snaps. <laughs> but uh,
7: It must have been every, it must have been everything you you had to not question every piece oh yeah. of bullshit admonition of they gave you. I can't imagine you yeah. in in that setting. I'm gonna tell you the
1: three charges for the three different court martials. Uh, insubordination, oh, of course. Uh, disobeying a lawful order, and falling asleep on guard duty. And my brother, God bless him, I patterned myself after my brother. He got uh, he got a, a court martial for inciting federal troops to riot. Isn't that great? Yeah. He, he he talked all the radar guys into going over the chow line and beating the shit out of the cooks. <laughs> So, he had his way, I had my way. So, you know? the,
7: the Carlin boys, there yeah. was a precedent there for you yeah. when
1: yes. you came in. A lot of paperwork under that <laughs> A lot of paperwork.
7: Now, that, that's your specific experience. What, what would you say in the overview about the concept of war? I mean, it, it seems war. so, yeah.
1: Just, uh, well, first of all, it, it is great theater. It's great entertainment. I mean, they don't call it the theater of war for nothing. The European theater, the Pacific theater. I know, it's a show. And, uh, and I'm here for the show. I figured that out a long time ago. You know, philosophers say, why are we here? What is this all about? I'm here for the entertainment. I just like, I like the idea of a lot of people dying. I, I can't help it. It's just something, I just haven't l I really mean that. It's not a, a comic exaggeration or anything. When I turn to the news, when they say breaking news, breaking news, I'm hoping it's not some bill that got passed. I'm hoping it's a huge explosion somewhere. A lot of dead people. I just love it. And, and war is great. War is great because it just goes on and on. They're never going to learn. Never, and, 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 and I blame the soldiers. You know, a lot of people blame the politicians. I blame these soldiers who keep showing up. It's assholes. Since the Turks, the, Russia, the, the, the Greeks, the, everybody. You know, well, okay, I'll be there. Testosterone.
7: Not smart. No wonder they say, You want an education? Come in here. They need an education. (laughs) They're not not that George, don't you think that all those are young boys who are just kind of fearful for. What do you Uh, mean? A
1: little warm. Yeah, getting dry
7: here. Uh, You know, I mean. is that not comic exaggeration? I can't believe you think that. Well, so many of the kids in our armed forces are kids who are buffaloed yeah. by a system. They don't have right. the education or the that. money to fight that system. And they're just kind of ramrodded over, overseas into these piss holes to defend old white men's concepts that don't mean anything. To, I to mean, defend white
1: men's private property. That's what it is. They're protecting older people's property. No, I understand that. But you said overview a little earlier. And overview to me, to me means the whole deal. And I just think, I just think if they never showed up, what would these people do. What would the statesmen and the politicians do? They'd have to have fist fights or something. (laughs) I I mean why they just keep going back, they keep going, yeah, we'll be there, we'll be there, it's fun, we'll kill a guy and everything. You know, I mean, yeah, but you've got to
7: watch Breaker Morant or Paths of Glory and you see what happens to these poor slobs who don't show they're up. Yeah. They're put in front of a firing squad, for Christ's sake. Yeah, At least over there, you're running around in the jungle. You've got half a chance, you know.
1: I'm suggesting there is an alternative, although it's probably not doable. It's a macro idea. The idea is, fuck these people. Don't go. Nobody goes. If nobody goes, they're going to kill them all? They're going to have trials for every single person? No. I'm, you know, I, I'm just living in a, in a different kind of world. I, I don't subscribe. <laughs> I, see, I don't buy into all the premises that go into this system. I, I have pulled myself away a long time ago. I, well, it's probably about six. years. an existential
7: years, view. When I, I finally
1: decided, fuck these people, these humans. Let them do their thing. I'll watch. It's fun. I'm out here. I have no stake in the outcome anymore. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what happens to your country. I don't care what happens to your species. You can go get fucked because it's fun to watch you destroy each other. It's entertaining.
7: Look at... Look at... Uh, you got any dates you want to push? Yeah. No. You know you know what's nice? You know what's really
1: nice about what's nice about the public? They sit there and they go, He doesn't mean us, honey. He doesn't mean us.
7: He's talking about those. Well people tell him over you do there. mean them. I do. No, they know that. They know that. You want me on that wall. Okay, we've got a phone call for you. Line Whoa. eight, we've got Dave from Blue Ball. Blue Ball, Ohio. Yeah. I well, thought it was in Dave, I know you've been on hold for a long time. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Boom. 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 Yeah. Just, all right. What's your question, Davey? Uh, Dennis, I'd like to know uh, if you think uh, will they ever bring back the draft? Georgie, you got any thoughts on that? The draft? No thoughts. <laughs> Zero. I think he said. Well, hey, you know, Dennis. I was in that draft. Right. I was in yeah. one of the last drafts. I drew like 362. It? Wonderful. Like. You know, yeah. Charlie had to be at the St. Louis Arch for That's me to right. see any well, action, right. you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And I was lucky, because when I think about it, sending me overseas yeah. just oh. boggles my mind. You know, George, when I was a junior in high school, I went to work at Eight Salt Fish and Chips to get money for the junior prom. I quit after two days, because when I would throw the cod fillets into the bubbling hot oil, it hit my arm, and it hurt. It really <laughs> All of a sudden, you're going to air me into no. the jungle with an Uzi to do battle with some guy who knows kung fu? Are you shitting me? You know? <laughs> Oh, Oh, man. We got another call. We got line uh, nine. John from Audubon, New Jersey. John? Hey, guys. Audubon, Uh, bird call. Take it! Okay, how much longer until soldiers are obsolete, and uh, what effect will that have on warfare? Boy, where do you get these people? Huh? (laughs) They're in a room in the back. (laughs) I think (laughs) so. They pick random cities out. We put on a little show. You know what I'm waiting for?
1: I'm waiting for when they can get those anthrax germs into little suitcases and set them off in the middle of a city. That's going to be fun. You don't need all this war. You don't need all these tanks and shit. What you need is some botulism stuff. You throw it around. You get the water supply. This is going to be fun. See, I'm talking about entertainment, and I really mean that. I think it's funny and fun, and I love watching it. And when they said that the Gulf War was going to be on TV, I didn't know it was going to be all graphs. I thought we were going to see some stuff. (laughs) Graphs and maps and shit. No, get in there. Show me this stuff. I can't wait till the Middle East really explodes. Ancient hatreds and modern weapons. My kind of show, man. (laughs) My kind of show.
7: Ah, you, you make Sylvia Plath look like Leo Biscaglia. Uh, good. Uh, we got. What do you think about gays in the military now? Gays? you have any thoughts on that?
1: I, I don't know. A lot of soldiers complain about it. These hetero soldiers, they don't want that. More pussy for me. You go to town, if half the guys are gay, there's more pussy for the heteros. What are they thinking about? What are they thinking
7: about? You know, I'm... You know, um, Trying to think of a way to wrap it up after More (laughs) Pussy for Me, but I I think that speaks for itself. George Carlin, ladies and gentlemen, stick around.
6: All right.
0: Okay, now this comes from, at least what, what I'm told, it comes from a 2002 release, but in listening to it, you can tell it was recorded. Probably earlier than that. Uh, This comes from a CD that's available on iTunes called George Carlin on Comedy. Actually, I should call it an album, but George Carlin on Comedy. It's got a bunch of different tracks that are only a few minutes long. And it's kind of like the Tony Hendra thing I mentioned earlier, where he sat down with somebody and answered questions. This is his last final track on that about advice to young comedians.
3: Young performers need encouragement. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give to someone just getting started, George?
1: I tell them, you can't do comedy without an audience. You've got to get up in front of people every day of your life. Every night that you can possibly find an audience, four nights a week, whatever you can handle, get out there and be doing your stuff because you'll never learn who you are. You'll never learn your own comic identity, much less will the material take shape and get better and better. No, will you learn how to polish? you got to be in front of people. It's one of the few things you can't do. When you can sing alone, you can play the violin alone. If you can't tell, you can't do comedy alone.
0: Okay, now this next one comes from 2001, Complaints and Grievances, which was right after 9-11. And this is his twist on the Ten Commandments. At first, I heard, lo- heard this. I fell in love with it. I th- believe I rewound it or did whatever I needed to do to listen to it again.
1: You folks are really uh, terrific, and I thank you. I'm not finished yet. I got one more thing I got to tell you about that I'm, b- bothers me. It's always kind of bugged the shit out of me. The Ten Commandments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you. Listen. Here's my problem. Why are there ten? You don't need ten. I think the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to ten. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told, so they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around, God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why 10? Why not 9 or 11? I'll tell you why. Because 10 sounds official. 10 sounds important. They knew if it was 11, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, what, are you kidding me? The 11 commandments? Get the fuck out of here. But 10... Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. (laughs) And to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. (laughs) Sabbath sabbath day lord's name strange gods spooky language spooky language designed to scare and control primitive people in no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent civilized humans in the 21st century you throw out the first three commandments whoosh, you're down to seven next honor thy father and mother obedience respect for authority just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parents' performance. Parents' performance. All right? some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, We're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior, in this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind, and I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? (laughs) But but marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one Thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing Thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. (laughs) Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. (laughs) Am I right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays O Come All Ye Faithful. You want to get one too. Coveting creates jobs, leave it alone. You throw out coveting, and you're down to two now, the big honesty and fidelity commandment, and the one we haven't talked about yet, thou shalt not kill, murder, the fifth commandment. But when you think about it... (laughs) When you think about it, religion has never really had a big problem with murder. Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do...
2: Uh
3: huh.
1: All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center To see how seriously the religious folks take Thou Shalt Not Kill The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable It's negotiable, you know It depends It depends It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. Thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie. And thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone. Unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. Two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. you.
0: Let's move forward to 2008, which is uh, the year he passed. And this is his final album. This is from It's Bad For You," And... (laughs) It's his view on things we say when people die. And in listening to it, knowing he would pass within a few months after, after recording it, if not weeks after recording it, it's, it's kind of spooky. So, here you are.
1: Now, speaking of dead people, there are things we say when someone dies. Most of us say, a lot of us do. Things we say that no one ever questions. They just kind of go unexamined. Give you a couple examples. After someone dies, the following conversation is bound to take place probably more than once. Two guys meet on the street. Hey, did you hear? Phil Davis died. Phil Davis? I just saw him yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't help. (laughs) He died anyway. Apparently, the simple act of your seeing him did not slow his cancer down. In fact, it may have made it more aggressive. You know, you could be responsible for Phil's death. How do you live with yourself? Here's another thing we say. This is something that is usually said to the surviving spouse. Usually a woman because of the way it works. Listen, if there's anything I can do anything at all please don't hesitate to ask what are you going to do a resurrection (laughs) this ain't the fucking new testament you know you know what you tell a guy like that who wants to help oh fine why don't you come over next weekend you can paint the garage (laughs) bring your plunger the upstairs toilet overflowed and there's shit all over the floor up there (laughs) you drive a tractor good that'll come in handy the north 40 needs a lot of attention bring your chainsaw and your pickaxe we're going to put your ass to work He wants to help, fuck him, call his bluff, call his bluff, the nerve of these pricks. Here's another thing we say to the surviving spouse, I'm keeping him in my thoughts, where? Where exactly in your thoughts does he fit? In between my ass hurts in this chair and let's fuck the waitress? What are your priorities? We use a lot of euphemisms when we talk about death, you know? People say things like, you know I lost my father. Ah, he'll turn up. You got to stay optimistic with people like that. Give them reason to hope. Have you checked the dumpster out back?
0: He used to like to take a nap in there. Keep it upbeat. Now I'm going to share another thing from the Tony Hendra podcast thing to promote the book final or promote the book Last Words. Uh, This is what uh, George has to say about hecklers.
1: It would seem to me that some of the frustration one feels comes out in one's work on stage in in the um, in 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 the manner of of performing. That is to say, the heat that one gives to things, the uh, urgency, the aggressiveness. In the 80s, there was a lot of outbursts at the audience. Uh, Wall was a particular person? If there was a heckler, I never coddled hecklers. I ignored them until I was sure that everyone around them was tired of them. And then I said, I, I would wait for the right thing to come along, and I would just turn, and I would say, Fuck you, you cocksucker! Fuck you, and fuck your mother in the asshole with a big rubber dick! Who the fuck are you to come here and steal the services that I'm offering these people and they're paying for? You're guilty of theft of services. Why don't you people police up your section? Don't you have a vigilante group in that area? Stab that prick. I would say that. I said, doesn't have anyone have something pointy? It was wonderfully fucking cathartic.
0: Now, this next thing I'm really pleased to be able to share because I feel honored to be one of the few, well, many that have heard it. And I got it from Kelly's Kelly Carlin's podcast, Waking from the American Dream. And it's something from her private collection that her father did. I From the voice quality and the recording, it sounds like it's in the mid to late 70s. And it's... To me, it just... First time I heard it, again, it's one of those things you have to rewind and hear again. And my favorite, favorite thing is his pause at the end, which is why I say I believe he is so musical.
7: And I'm going to leave you with my dad, which I do every once in a while, with a little ditty called Everything is Okay Anyway.
5: Everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if the sun comes out each day, everything must be okay. Yes, everything is okay anyway. If all we ever had was total war, and peace and love and giving were a bore, what well, if we cried and died all day? You could still hear someone say that everything is okay anyway. Volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, and tidal waves, and man is forced to live again in caves. But if all we had was fire, you'd still hear the caveman choir Singing everything is okay anyway Yes, everything is okay anyway Everything is okay anyway Well, if kids come out to play, everything must be okay Yeah, everything is okay anyway If no one was allowed to jump or run If no one was permitted to have fun And if it rained hard every day, you still hear someone say that everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if you do not miss your pay, if you hear what I will say, you will know that on this day I have seen a little ray of... Forgetfulness.
0: All right, we're back on the streets of New York. (laughs) Uh, It's been a pleasure to share this stuff with you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope, thank you for being on this ride with me we will get back to regular episodes next episode coming out on friday conversation with addison part one just as i said last episode it's just a bonus episode for me to honor george Jimmy Buffett says if I couldn't laugh I just would go insane if we couldn't laugh we just would go insane if we weren't all crazy we would go insane stay crazy everyone
3: Sadness or tragedy or heartbreak with someone who brings so much happiness and pleasure to people.
1: Well, I guess it was true of a lot of a lot of the comedians who were interviewed all at the same time that they all came out of you know bad situation. There is an anger that precedes comedy. There's an outrage at the base of it, and I guess it's natural to associate that uh, sense of outrage and, and rage itself. With some sort of ill beginnings or some sort of sadness, um, you know, co- crying and laughter are very close because they both produce tearing of the eyes, baring of the teeth, and a kind of a rhythmic expulsion of air that that's involuntary, and and so they're very they're very very close. I laughed until I cried, and all of the words associated with comedy have violence attached to them: uh, gag, slapstick, punchline. Uh, I killed them. I slaughtered them. If they don't, if I don't kill them, I die. I died out there, but I was dying for a while, and then I killed them. And all of this stuff. There's something there that, uh, that serious scholars should should take a look at someday.
3: After researching the comedians I interviewed for my book on the uh, great comedians, I came up with a theory that all people who go into professional comedy are driven to it because they, one, come from poverty-stricken circumstances. Two. Are members of a minority, and/or three did not get enough love as a child. Does any of this hold true for George Carlin? Well, uh, the
1: third one, uh, not getting enough love. If you if you use the word love in its broadest sense to include attention, you know, uh, love is that's a perceived thing by a child. A child says. Uh, Gee, you know, my dad's not here, I must have caused that. So there's a distorted perception of reality. But generally speaking, that third one would be closer to true. I got plenty of love from my mother, but I don't think I, as a youngster who wondered maybe where everybody was during the day, uh, looked at it quite um, accurately, and I'm sure I confused attention for love.
0: You've been listening to Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. I'd love to hear from you, so let me know what you think or what you'd like to hear about by emailing me at changesinlatitudespodcast at gmail.com or by leaving a comment on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash changesinlatitudespodcast or at the website changesinlatitudespodcast.blogspot.com Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and please leave us reviews and star ratings. Now, wait for it. Here it comes. Disclaimer Disclaimer time! I am not a doctor nor a lawyer, and I certainly do not pretend to be one. I am a trans woman who began her transition later in life. I am here to discuss my life, so I take no responsibility for your decisions based on my personal thoughts and experiences. If you are thinking about transition or are questioning your gender identity, first, please know that you are not alone in your thoughts and questions. Second, please seek the advice of a qualified gender therapist or at the very least a local support group. If you're having difficulty finding a qualified professional in your area, I suggest reaching out to the closest LGBT center near you. And lastly, please remember, always question the source when researching information on the Internet. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permission from the host. Copyright 2015 by me, Sabrina Miller. Thanks for listening.
1: I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. And American English is loaded with euphemisms because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth. So they invent a kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. And it gets worse with every generation. For some reason, it just keeps getting worse. I'll give you an example of that. There's a condition in combat... Most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum. Can't take any more input. The nervous system has either snapped or is about to snap. In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language. Two syllables. Shell shock. Almost sounds like the guns themselves. That was 70 years ago then a whole generation went by and the second world war came along and we the very same combat condition was called battle fatigue four syllables now takes a little longer to say doesn't seem to hurt as much fatigue is a nicer word than shock shell shock battle fatigue (laughs) then we had the war in korea in 1950 madison avenue was riding high by that time and the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. Hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase, it's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion sounds like something that might happen to your car. Then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about 16 or 17 years. And thanks to the lies and deceit surrounding that war, I guess it's no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. (laughs) Still eight syllables, but we've added a hyphen. (laughs) And the pain is completely buried under jargon. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I'll bet you if we'd have still been calling it shell-shock, some of those Vietnam veterans might have gotten the attention they needed at the time. I'll bet
2: you that. I'll bet you that.
1: But... But it didn't happen and one of the reasons, one of the reasons is because we were using that soft language, that language that takes the life out of life. And it is a function of time, it does keep getting worse. give you another example, sometime during my life, sometime during my life, toilet paper became bathroom tissue. I wasn't notified of this. No one asked me if I agreed with it. It just happened, toilet paper became bathroom tissue. Sneakers became running shoes. False teeth became dental appliances. Medicine became medication. Information became directory assistance. The dump became the landfill. Car crashes became automobile accidents. Partly cloudy became partly sunny. Motels became motor lodges. House trailers became mobile homes. Used cars became previously owned transportation. <laughs> room service became guest room dining. And constipation became occasional irregularity. <laughs> when I was a little kid, if I got sick, they wanted me to go to the hospital and see the doctor. Now they want me to go to a health maintenance organization or a wellness center to consult a health care delivery professional. Poor people used to live in slums. Now the economically disadvantaged occupy substandard housing in the inner cities. And they're broke. They're broke. They don't have a negative cash flow position. They're fucking broke. Because a lot of them were fired. You know, fired. Management wanted to curtail redundancies in the human resources area. So many people are no longer viable members of the workforce. Smug... Greedy, well-fed, white people have invented a language to conceal their sins, it's as simple as that. The CIA doesn't kill anybody anymore, they neutralize people, or they depopulate the area. The government doesn't lie, it engages in disinformation. The Pentagon actually measures nuclear radiation in something they call sunshine units. Israeli murderers are called commandos, Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra-killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? They never mention that part of it to us, do they? Never mention that part of it, and... And some of this stuff is just silly. We know, we all know that. Like on the airlines, they say they want a pre-board. Well, what the hell is pre-board? What does that mean? to get on before you get on? They say they're going to pre-board those passengers in need of special assistance. Cripples! Simple, honest, direct language. There's no shame attached to the word cripple that I can find in any dictionary. No shame attached to it. In fact, it's a word used in Bible translations. Jesus healed the cripples. Doesn't take seven words to describe that condition. But we don't have any cripples in this country anymore. We have the physically challenged. Is that a grotesque enough evasion for you? How about differently abled? I've heard them call that differently abled. You can't even call these people handicapped anymore. They'll say, we're not handicapped. We're handicapable. These poor people have been bullshitted by the system into believing that if you change the name of the condition, somehow you'll change the condition. Well, hey, cousin, doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. We have no more deaf people in this country, hearing impaired. No one's blind anymore, partially sighted or visually impaired. We have no more stupid people, everybody has a learning disorder. (laughs) or he's minimally exceptional. How would you like to be told that about your child? He's minimally exceptional. Oh, thank God for that. Psychologists actually have started calling ugly people those with severe appearance deficits. It's getting so bad that any day now I expect to hear a rape victim referred to as an unwilling sperm recipient. And we have no more old people in this country. No more old people. We shipped them all away, and we brought in these senior citizens. (laughs) Isn't that a typically American 20th century phrase? Bloodless, lifeless. No pulse in one of them. A senior citizen. But I've accepted that one, I've come to terms with it, I know it's here to stay, we'll never get rid of it, that's what they're going to be called, so I'll relax on that, but the one I do resist, the one I keep resisting, is when they look at an old guy, and they'll say, look at him, Dan, he's 90 years young. (laughs) Imagine the fear of aging that reveals, to not even be able to use the word old to describe someone, to have to use an antonym. And fear of aging is natural, it's universal, isn't it? We all have that, no one wants to get old, no one wants to die, but we do. So we bullshit ourselves. (laughs) I started bullshitting myself when I got to my 40s. As Soon as I was in my 40s, I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, well, I I guess I'm getting older. (laughs) Older sounds a little better than old, doesn't it? Sounds like it might even last a little longer. (laughs) Bullshit, I'm getting old. And it's okay, because thanks to our fear of death in this country, I won't have to die. I'll pass away. (laughs) Or I'll expire like a magazine subscription. (laughs) If it happens in the hospital, they'll call it a terminal episode. The insurance company will refer to it as negative patient care outcome. And if it's the result of malpractice, they'll say it was a therapeutic misadventure. I'm telling you, some of this language makes me want to vomit. Well, maybe not vomit. Makes me want to engage in an involuntary personal protein spill. Thank you all.
3: Give me a little life for Mo. Mo says hello. (laughs) Oh, New
6: York is principal, Barry. The name of the lamppost is unnecessary. You really have to see the girls to know one tree. The new beauties and the old Broadway girls, the tailor-made shoppers, the Avenue girls—they're strictly all right, but they're different white in the different parts of town. and for mine You cannot
1: That's it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure to be your content provider for the last few hours. Now you'll have to provide your own
2: content for a while, until I see you again. Have fun doing so, and remember...